Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com Good afternoon, good morning, good evening, wherever you are in the world. I am Russell Tovey. And I'm Robert Diamant. And this is Talk Art. Welcome to Talk Art. How are you, Rob? Today, Russell, I am feeling authentic. And I know uh, you're kind of surprised, aren't you, that I said uh-huh. that? I've been thinking a lot about masks and, you know, that famous Oscar Wilde quote, which I know everyone mentions all the time. It's almost kind of so literal and, you, you know, uh, everywhere. But it, the, the quote is, man is least himself when he talks in his own person. Give him a mask and he will tell you the truth. And I've been thinking a lot about the last few years. We've kind of, you know, created this platform with TalkArt. And I think a lot of it has been us realizing that we are comfortable with ourselves and and sort of using our platform to help other people and also finding our own voice and our own opinions and being kind of strong enough to sort of say what you think in the world. And there's an artist who we were supposed to meet before the original lockdown. So I think it was like early 2020 we were originally going to meet because he'd had a really cool show on in central London at Stephen Friedman Gallery that had an array of masks in different forms, ceramic masks. And I loved that show so much. Same. And I'm so thrilled that we're finally getting to meet him and chat to him. But he also works across performance and installation in a way, because I've always I've always felt like his exhibitions are really well installed. And he's made these these kind of um, totemic sculptures of late, which also as an audience member, when you as a viewer, you kind of go through them and it's a real experience. And I, I love the way that he he works with space. And we've hung out a few times in Margate and in London. And I originally met him through a really great collector in London called Karen Smith, who's based in Hampstead. And Karen's a really, really great kind of philanthropist almost. Like she really supports emerging talent. A super encouraging person also to myself as a gallerist. So shout out to Karen. But um, we would like to welcome to Talk Art, Jonathan Jonathan Bulldog. Hi, Jonathan. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me on. It's exciting. So exciting. Very welcome. Where are you in the world, Jonathan? Where am I at the moment? I'm at home, actually, today. I've just done my washing. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Glamorous Sunday. Um, Yeah, so living it up. And that's it, really. uh, You're based in London. I'm based in London, exactly. Yeah. Um, Behind you here, which the audience can't see, it feels like you live in a studio. Do you you have a live worker situation? Are you saying it's a mess? It is. <laughs> <laughs> well, I just know I'm saying there's like sculptures on no, shelves and it looks like a workspace. <laughs> it's because I um it's it's because I'm actually in the process of moving. So you what you're seeing is like lots of empty shelves and boxes and you know things. So it's a bit I'm, I'm it's a place 
that's in in the midst of a move um and uh yeah i was thinking about it actually i've 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 moved i'm 41 and i've moved 30 times in my life wow so this is i know right it's quite a lot um yes. so i'm packing up and moving again hence you know life on the road the <laughs> where, where, where are you off to this time i don't know at the minute i'm just uh <laughs> Come to market, what? which is a bit. I know it's because I've got I've got a show coming up in Stockholm that I'm going to install in a week, and um, yeah, so I thought I've got some options. Basically, I've got some fires in the iron about where I might move to, and uh, and at the minute, I'm not quite sure, sure which one I'm gonna <laughs> I'm gonna end up at. But yeah, so that's it. So state of are you quite a flat. minimalist to have moved thirty no, times? I mean, every time I've moved, I, I wanted to kill myself because it's too much. Yeah, I'm I actually, I mean, I should be given I've just said that I've I moved quite a lot, but actually I just collect a lot of stuff and things and just and like I've got so many books. I think they're yes. because I've, I, I've they're the one thing that I've always allowed myself, even when I don't have money to buy, because I thought that's sort of guilt free. But the thing is, when you're moving big boxes of books, they're the worst to carry. Aren't the worst. Oh, my Sorry. God. Because they're just like solid lumps of. Well, would you know? So exactly. Um, but, yeah. but your studio, you you keep in the same studio, and do you have a studio you travel to? Yes. So my studio is in Bromley by Bow, right? And uh, again, there's lots of boxes there, and it's quite you know, <sighs> I've got a lot of stuff and things in boxes piled up, and yeah. Can I'm, you I'm sleep in the studio? Are you, okay, can you sleep in the studio though? If you push come to shove, yes, I can. That's what, and that's my backup, Russell. You know, if it if it all goes to shit. I can go and, and live in the studio for a few days, but let's hope that that doesn't happen. It's, okay, it's happened crossed. before, but yeah. Has it? What, the last it's, 30 yeah. times you've moved? Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> so it's you're from... Though, you know? Right, right, right. <laughs> washing in a bucket. It's not, not the dream, you know? It's not... No, 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 no. You just said that you're a collector, though. You're a collector of other things yeah. as well as books? Yeah, I, I collect a lot of... I've always collected a lot. I, you know, I was as a kid. I used to collect, well, the basic stuff: stamps, badges, coins, um, miniature toy car. You know, like pretty much anything that was pretty cheap. Dinkies. That you could Dinky cars. Dinky, exactly. Um, I would collect it. I, I think I've just there's. I've always sort of had. Um, uh, I've always found object like there's sort of a preciousness of objects and things and keeping them in order has always been appealing to me yeah it's that's quite interesting if you think about that show that that we saw in 2019 in london in central london with stephen friedman like even that show there's a kind of like rhythm and order and even though each mask that you had hanging on the wall were completely unique and different there was a kind of unity between them all almost like a collection i hadn't really thought of it like that before no would you know i I was thinking i mean i said this before i can't but i I used to be a bit of a bird watcher and even the way that i used to watch birds was that I used to do a little cross in the corner of my Reader's Digest, Birds of the British Isles. And every time I'd seen one, so it was almost like collecting viewings yeah. of these birds. You wow. know? So, you know, maybe those masks are like sort of a collection of an emotions, expressions, you know, that I've sort of, I've built up and I've got quite, you know, quite a steady collection of them now. So I think we're kindred spirits, Jonathan. <laughs> I was reading uh, Armistead Maupin's book this morning i was flicking through it and he said something that stuck with me that when he was a kid he used to go antiquing so he's american 
and his mum used to take him antiquing. And he says, at a revealingly early age, he went antiquing. And there's this affinity or a synergy between antiquing as a young boy and being gay. And there's, it's something about, I don't know what it is. Do you know what that would be? But it absolutely struck a chord with me when I read that line. So interesting. I don't, I, 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 I can believe it. I mean, I think for me, I guess the parallel would be jumble sales. I used to go to jumble sales oh, for my mum. Same. Oh my God, and, we're the same uh, person. <laughs> in fact, actually, one of my favourite toys, and I don't even remember this, but my apparently my um, my I was in a pram and my sister was pushing me, and I just had my hand up for this like knitted rabbit that I just wouldn't leave alone. Ended up being my favourite. It's called Peggy Higgins was uh my favorite <laughs> toy <laughs> so even even from a sort of yeah i mean I, before i can even remember i love it's that sort of potential to sort of find some treasure or something yes. you know what i mean yes. there might be something to discover you know which is really exciting and um it's it's i, I was trying to work out it's this because we're uh, we're kids but we were feverishly trying to understand everything or, or learn things or know about things that we could go into these jumble sales as the innocent not as like a dealer but we sort of knew what we're looking for we trained our eyes for the, the the antique the bit of the bit of treasure in the rough but we could go in and get it for like 10p whereas if we did it now at this age they'd be like right well they put a few zeros in the end of that they'd be like you know what you're doing but as a kid it was like i felt like they don't even know that i know what this is exactly and also you have the advantage of height so you can just sort of slip in there do you know what i mean Get yeah. to the front of the queue. <laughs> get the front to of the box the to rummage through. Mom, yeah, exactly. My mum had some good elbows, and she's quite small as well. So she was always. But now I'm just I'm lost at the back. It's you know, I, <laughs> and like yeah. you say, this like I, I think um, you get charged more now. It's like uh, exactly <laughs> they can spot you. You're an adult, and they go, "No, I'm not getting exactly. this temp. I don't, I don't. I don't feel sorry <laughs> for you. And you even your charm isn't working right now. Pay me the full price. Yes, <laughs> exactly." So you were born in Kent. Uh, I guess this yeah. is where you did most of your jumble sales and boot sales and antiquing. Uh, in 1980, you were saying you're 41. And um, you were, as a young kid, you were doing lots of crafty things, discovering like how to, as you've said, a beautiful thing, bringing together the head and the hand, which is, a, I've read some, which is a beautiful line of yours, which I love to quote. Um, but you were working that out growing up. You, you have, you could have been anything really, because you feel like you're the king of craft. Everything seems to be something you've tried. Mm. I mean, I, I think I, I, I sort of pull from what I know. And, you know, as a kid, I, so when, I mean, I learned to sort of knit and crochet from a really young age because my nan taught me how to do those things. And so when my mum, during the holidays, my mum was um, off to work, she would leave me with my nan and we'd do these things together. And so, and they were things that I really, really loved to do as well. So, you know, I, obviously pretty cool kid, um, you know, as you can imagine, and um, loved to crochet knit. So I <laughs> <laughs> do all of these things. And um, I don't know, I think there was a sort of a period, you know, as you sort of become a teenager and you, and you sort of, you know, you feel like maybe these are, these are things that maybe you shouldn't be doing or I don't know, you know, they're just... It's such a like, shame that. not cool. I know. And yeah, then, like it's not cool, there. so you want to repress but it. You feel a shame. You yeah, feel like a shame that you go that yeah. I'm not into football, but there's no, I can't admit to being into collecting things. I can't be mm. admit to <laughs> being passionate or enthusiastic about things that are off the beaten track. Totally. You know, that it becomes, you know, you become aware of it just not being acceptable, you know, yeah. or okay. 
So yeah. I sort of pushed those things to the side for a while. And, um, and it wasn't until I went to art school, actually, and I did painting. And um, This is in Winchester? Started, at Winchester School of Art, exactly. And um, I started picking up or, or having desire to make things. And I think I was a bit intimidated by the sculpture department. So I sort of tapped into what I, I knew to make things, which was obviously, you know, very textile orientated. And so thinking about how I could make sculptures and objects and installations with with fabrics and things that are very cheap, I guess, as well, you know, and uh, uh, just just led me onto sort of the path that I guess that I'm I'm at now, which is, you know, constantly. I mean, it's it's such a sort of. I mean, there's, there's so many endless crafts, I guess, mediums to mm. to try, you know. I mean, I, I recently started spinning my own yarn and that, that was, oh, you wow. know, a whole, a whole new thing. <laughs> um, you know, I, I think there's, there's many that I think would take, you know, a, a lifetime to learn. But there's also lots that you can really pick up yourself and that sort of autonomy of doing, of, of learning how to do something yourself is very powerful, I think, actually. Something that, that strikes me with you is that everything you're talking about, it sounds quite like, you know, you're using your hands. It's quite like um, in relation to the size of your body, almost like, you know, you think of the masks you've made, all, all of those kind of series of works, even the heads you did earlier on. that I think I first saw weirdly at the Saatchi Gallery or somewhere like Same. that. Um, yeah. But actually, you've always had this almost like ambition to do something greater from that so you might you might have like many smaller parts that create a much larger installation and if you go back even to like 2006 that that installation that was called fat face tells porkies i love that work and and that that kind of giant face um and you're talking about materials that were very easy to come by and i feel like there's almost like twigs or 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 you know like um bits of trees within that and can you talk a bit about that kind of ambition to uh, respond to space and to to think about things on a larger scale outside of your your actual physical scale. Mm. Well, I think like the body is always central to the work that I make, and I think that's that's the thing about craft materials. You know, they they are um, so directly related to the body. So I think it, it was just sort of a natural progression that I would start thinking about scale and how. I mean. I'm always thinking about the viewer as well in the work, you know, how mm. they move around the space, how you can how you can essentially choreograph them in, in a gallery space, how they can sort of enter enter a world that I've created and and maybe I can divert their eye to look beyond the sort of, you know, just the straightforward and um asking them to walk under the work or, you know, over a work. You know, I think these are things that I really uh, enjoy doing and mm. um you know thinking about like um for instance your fat face tells porkies the word you mentioned I think you know that was a work that I, I wanted to make something really monstrous I think the thing is with craft materials they often have quite cozy connotations mm. yeah and I think you know I, I I'm quite interested in just trying to sort of uh pulling away from that kind of um those perceptions of of the medium and just you know making it something big and and monstrous quite often it will have to be quite done in quite sort of modular ways like you've just said because of the limitations with which I've had to to make them for instance in um, Camden Art Centre when I made the columns you know they were sort of 
you know, the size of the kiln, essentially. So, right. you know, how do I make them big? I sort of stack them up or join them together. And, um, and that's how I've kind of gone about making something sort of monumental out of, out of materials that are quite, I guess, essentially quite humble. Uh, right. Yeah. I also well, remember yeah. the work back then being quite shocking. Like I remember seeing those heads and the aesthetic of it was almost like kind of not not it wasn't aggressive, but there's definitely like a kind of a macabre, grotesque. yeah, grotesque, dark humour, bit twisted, but also a kind of ugliness at the same time as being quite classically beautiful humorous. or something. Yeah. And humorous. Yeah, it's kind of a weird combination of things. Yeah, I mean that I mean Okay, those. So you're talking about the salt dough heads that were shown yeah. at the, the start. So exactly. I mean, I so I started working at yeah in salt dough because I couldn't didn't have access to clay. So and um, and I and they were like you say they were essentially sort of classic busts. They were modelled on uh, a male head, um, mm. and then they were sort of all, like so they had these they were very orna- ornamental and had all this yes. decoration all over them. And I and the things that maybe that should have been on the outside, like the hair and things were spewing out of the, the mouth. And so it had this sort of like in, external things coming from within. But I guess I really wanted to, you know, again, it's using a material which is something, you know, like as simple as flour, salt and water. And then sort of re- making it refer to uh, the busts of classical antiquity, you know. Um, also, they were colourful because I think at that time, you know, it's, it's, it's more common knowledge now, but, you know, the, the, there was this kind of um, looking at uh, um, Roman and, and uh, classical Greek uh, sculpture and, and, and seeing that it was would have originally been painted in colour and probably looked much closer to sort of... Um, sort of Madame Tussauds kind of, uh, right. you know. It, um, it wasn't this sort of white... Um, Alabaster yeah, porcelain marble. sort of thing. Yeah, exactly, yeah, yeah. that oh, we've yeah. sort of grown to accept in sort of, certainly in the Western tradition, it was something much more decorative and brightly coloured than that. And um, so I guess that sort of bringing that, what I mean, could be looked at sort of quite kitsch elements to the work was... Was, was an important thing for me, I think. Didn't you that. let these all um, dry in front of a radiator as well because they were too big for the oven at this stage? This was all like a stage in your career when money was obviously <laughs> something you had to consider when creating your work. Yeah, I did. I did. And I'm also, I mean, because if you notice, the heads are just the right size to fit in the oven. But <laughs> I sort of came up with a way to do this where you, yeah, you had to sort of... Would it be staring out at you like a <laughs> yeah, nursery? Staring like, out in the nursery, oven. <laughs> like Hansel and Gretel, yeah. Oh, my God. These glass eyes. They also had hair in them, so it couldn't be, you know, it had to be such a slow... So my housemates must slow have loved cook. me because they used to leave the, leave the oven on, you know, for 12 hours at a time slowly drying out these um salt dough heads and and then like you say leaving them by the radiator you know it was just a way I didn't have a studio at the time as well so it was about I just graduated from the RCA and it was about making making work when you didn't have um you didn't have facilities and money I guess so you know um so I, I literally used the cheapest thing possible which was you know making salt dough in the kitchen it's like like play-doh wasn't it? The, like played though, exactly. And and and, to, and the colours came from like food colouring that you you added at the kneading stage of the exactly. sculpture. Exactly. Yeah. So they sort of have an almost, I guess, sort of cake, 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 sort Cake-y. of icing. Yeah, cakey look about them. Yeah. Yeah. So do do you know when you start these sculptures how they're gonna end up, 
and and the same for you. We're talking about your installations then, about how an audience navigates its way through your installations. Are these things that you know when you begin a body of work, or are these things that you kind of improvise and let them tell you what they are? I think it's a bit of both. So you know, for instance, the so with the the salto heads or, or the ceramic masks, I think I can be much more intuitive in the way that I make them because in a way the sort of the format is already set so I know it's going to have a certain size and then within those limitations I can be quite playful but I think with the installations then I am much more you know there's a lot more um, thought I you know it's just a very different way of working you know so mm-hmm. I will think about I think I address them a little bit more like they are plays or something like that you know there's yes. a script and you know yes. Um, and then there's a stage and then there's a certain set characters that I want to include. Um, Mm. and then I can, and then it's up to their individual interpretation of the role, you know, and that's when I get, I guess they can sort of be a bit more, um, playful, you know, you're the writer director of your, of your plays because they are (laughs) incredibly theatrical and there's a lot of puppetry in there. And like, I imagine animatronic at some stage is going to be something that you will consider, I don't know if you have already, but that feels like something that is totally innate to the oh, work. Yeah, I would love to. There's lots of things I'm still, you know, eager to do. I'd like to do film as well, you know, yeah. but that hasn't, <laughs> you know, there's 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 lots of things on my sort of bucket list of avenues I want to try, you know, and I think. Yeah, I think um, you should do a ballet something. or an opera. You should be doing the I'd costumes for that. Yeah, I would love but... to. I'm just waiting for somebody to ask me to do <laughs> Yeah. Any curators listening? Yeah. But even through all this, there's there's like, you know, they 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 feel very British. It feels very English. What the these creations you have, and they they are theatrical, but they feel kind of Shakespearean, as we said. There's like opera and ballet, but they also feel like you're splicing art history when it comes to like Victorian times and Tudor times. Then they feel Dickensian on one turn. They they they're really kind of. Uh, highly camp but they're like part of a carnival right no I'll take that that's uh, (laughs) I'll take that yeah I mean I think you know I'm I'm a big lover of of all I love I love art you know and I you know I'm a bit of a saddo so I'm an artist but then in my spare time I'll go to art galleries or you know museums and um so I'm constantly soaking up imagery um, and references that will then find themselves in the work. Mm. Um, and that's something I've always done. And, you know, I don't come from an artistic background at all. You know, n- nobody in my family is an artist or, or, or really anything that's, sort of, you know, design or any, they come from anything. But, um, but it's something that I really, I really, really love, you know, and... Um, and I guess it's it's a it's a bit of an obsession. So yeah, I think that comes from like boots house and jumble sales and antiquing and having them sort of right. references all through your childhood. Just like these images of like a chamber pot or these images of like you know Victorian or Edwardian furniture and stuff. These things all kind of play into your decision making when you're telling your stories. It's the search for the beautiful thing, isn't it? Exactly, exactly. (laughs) So let's talk about Camden Art Centre, the show that you had recently that you were talking about, which was called Face Crime. And these were these stacked columns, which you said you were limited because of the size of the kiln. But these were something 
that triggered you to create them from uh, a recent Syrian discovery of some uh, clay tablets from 2500 BC that you saw in the news, and that then triggered a whole new body of work? Yeah, so it's, it's actually the Assyrian Empire, which is an ancient Mesopotamian kingdom. And Assyria would now be modern day Iraq, as well as parts of Iran, Kuwait, Syria and Turkey. Yeah, so I was in the Mesopotamian gallery in um, the British Museum looking at these clay tablets. And I was really fascinated, not just with them as physical objects, but also the fact that this is like the oldest form of written language and existed for, I think, uh, over 3000 years. So it had quite a stint and um, it's a language that's completely extinct now and was really only discovered in the late 19th century, I think, with this discovery of these clay tablets in Iraq. I was fascinated with this language primarily because it was discovered through clay. So clay as this medium to communicate felt like a good way to start thinking about my show at Camden Arts Centre. And so I mirrored that with the fastest growing language today, which is, um, which is emojis. Emojis are often used to sort of um, to fill an emotional cue in a typed language. And, and for me, I often think about my work as being about or wanting to explore the ways in which we communicate um, as human beings. So, yeah, I was looking at this ancient cuneiform language, mirroring that with the fastest growing language today. And then also within the, the work, I, um, I looked at ways in which humans communicate non-verbally so things like sighs grunts whistles laughters and um, I created an audio work uh, piece within the ceramic columns so that each of the columns appeared like they were communicating with each other and having a sort of a conversation uh, non-verbally with these sounds and as if to sort of evoke emotions so they had a sort of a character that was described through the sort of emotional signals that they were giving out also included whistles because whistles are um, have a well actually they 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 have a sort of history of being um, a language um, in and amongst themselves because um, there are certain communities in sort of mountainous regions that use whistles to communicate. Some are very complex and uh, you know like you can even um, ask for loaves of bread and think. I mean it's it's kind of amazing. So that was my thinking. About that, I should also say as well that one of the things that, that I found out about these clay tablets that were discovered were they often fit in the palm of the hand as well, and I found that really fascinating because um, you know again if you're sort of mirroring mirroring that with a sort of the modern day equivalent would be a mobile phone, so there was this nice sort of connection with you know one of the 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 most ancient languages. Um, that is no longer in existence and then the fastest growing one that exists in the non-physical and the digital today. So this was in 2019 and it was at Camden that moved on to, it toured to the tramway in Glasgow. So it went up there, which is amazing. But can we we talk about um, the importance of Camden Arts Centre, what that is for people who don't know and the importance of the fellowship because you did the fellowship and the residency. Is that the same thing or are they two separate things? And what is that, Um, what does that give you as an artist? So it was a fellowship residency. It was, a, yeah, it was this. It came under the same umbrella, um, but yeah, I think for me, for me, it was, yeah, it's, it's such, and it was incredibly important. Um, you know, I. What I, is it? I, what actually is it that you get so, as the re- form so of residency? So what I got was six months 
um, free access into their ceramic studios. So if anybody knows Camden Art Centre, it's quite unique in that it has a ceramic studio just to the um, just to the side of the to the to the right hand side of the gallery as you go in. Oh. Um, there's a ceramic studio and they have um, uh, workshops and courses, but they also do this um, ceramic residency. And um, you do the residency and you get to ex uh, explore clay, you know, um, and at the end of it, you get an exhibition um, in the gallery upstairs. So, you know, it's up to you how much I think you want clay to become a part of the exhibition. But um, for me, obviously, I just, you know, somebody that works uh, in materials and how and who, you know, materials are so important. It was inevitable that I think I'd get lost completely in the medium of clay. And then, you know, it would mean that I have a an exhibition that was very, very ceramic based. Um, and actually, there's a there's a really amazing show on right now till December with Phoebe Collings James, who's a friend of mine. And right. um, she spent six months like you did. And I think it's been fascinating to see the impact that residency's had on her work because she's been doing a lot of um, kind of clay, um, kind of uh, or like a group where you can go and, and, and do it, I think, in South London, you know, to actually make ceramics and stuff as an ongoing part of her practice for a year or so. But I was just blown away by her current exhibition. It's really, I think Camden's so important, isn't it? At, like, supporting... Yeah, yeah well, it's an in, now you've got an institutional show on, on the end of a residency. I mean, I know, what an genius. absolute dream. Yeah. It's amazing, no? And I think, mm. you know, they're so nurturing and um, they really look after artists, I think. So I think, you know, you always feel like artists are at the centre of the programme, which is really beautiful. By the way, I was just looking up Meso Meso Mesopotamia, yeah. and it was—it looks like it was the world's um, oldest recorded civilization. So it's like the yeah. kind of beginning of things, and it's actually where present-day Iraq is, and parts of Iran, Turkey, and yeah. Syria, and Kuwait. So it's like—it's really interesting. That's like right the beginning of everything, like human um, existence, humanship. There we go. So you were talking about the masks. Let's talk about his masks and the emojis, and you were like splicing. Uh, you know, the hieroglyphics and antique versions of the face and then you're looking at the emoji now and the the emoji smiley, I guess, which is two eyes, a nose, a mouth. That's the fundamental recognition of the emoji smiley. But you're bringing that into these um, different versions of that within ceramics and also your ceramics look like fabric. I want to talk about that as well because a lot of these masks have a very fabric feel that obviously, you know, you're working within applique and, you know, I, not quilt making, but you're, you're using fabric, felt making, for example, you said you're using yarn, and then you're, the language of clay you're playing with alongside materials. It's like folds, isn't it, in the ceramics? Yeah. Pleating and, Pleating, yeah, like yeah. Isimiyaki. Yeah. <laughs> um, so that ceramic mask series really came about by chance and it became about it came about um whilst I was working on the Camden show I um so obviously instead of making you know a column a column segment um and then just putting any old glaze on it or you know the 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 ceramic masks were just um were, were test pieces really so instead of just putting a plain uh, tablet of of clay with the glaze on it or you know the, the little marks that I maybe wanted to use mm. for the columns I just started making faces in them and it was a really sort of intuitive kind of to put my finger in it twice and make a mouth and of course you know I mean obviously this must have somehow connected with 
the fact that I'm looking at emojis and, you know, and and also, you know, I, I'm, I'm kind of obsessed by masks anyway. So, um, Do you collect think, masks? Uh, <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, it was claim. So I think it was just... I. I did also, because I was so excited about having access to this kiln, I wanted to, every time the firing went on, I wanted to fill it up <laughs> with something that um, was going to use <laughs> or maybe you could use. So I couldn't even, you know, even when the sabotation was saying this is just a test, I felt like it had to be a test for something, you know. So I did that and they, they started coming out um, from the kiln um, and I was kind of, I thought these are kind of, I'm kind of enjoying them. They're kind of... Um, the fun, you know, they, um, uh, and they, they just sort of had, but the, the thing that was amazing about them was that, you know, the, the variety of expressions and, um, emotions that you would get with what is a, just a very simple action, you know? Um, so I started to build on that with just different, um, different finishes with the way, you know, it, it just, it was, a, they, they became real, uh, test plates, but with, um, more and more I started to be a little bit more um uh, to think about them a little bit more and they became sort of less you know less um intuitive in the fact that I was just you know doing something automatically but yeah I, th I think it became a conscious decision not to repeat that was the thing that I you know found once I'd done maybe 50 of them that mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> you you become conscious on uh, of of trying something new or bring so you know you're thinking about it before but up until that point it was you know very free 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 flowing why are some know. called mask like mask and then others are called mask with an e at the end uh because they've got they're slightly different format that's so, <laughs> so oh. that because when i when i left the kill when i left the, uh, the camden art center i no no longer had access to the the, the board that they oh. they were on so, and then I moved and I finally got my own kiln, which was, you know, oh, amazing. Brilliant. I was going to ask that. Oh my God. That's, that's amazing. Like celebration. Oh, it was life changing. It was like How much is a kiln? How much is it a kiln to buy? How thousands. Do you... I mean, is it? Um, yeah. I, I'd never, ever had. I mean, it was about, I was found, it was about 4,000, I think, you know, all in with. Do you have um, to plumb it in and get put like permission from yeah, councils and stuff? You do. You do. Yeah. And you have to well, also I mean, make sure have... it's secure and safe, don't you? I, I know Lindsay exactly. Mendes had that. And, you have um, to have a proper electrician come and fix it, fix it in. And, um, yeah. you know, the thing is, an artist, it's really easy just to sort of the money just disappears really quickly. So, you know, if you pretend that, you know, you're getting some money of something, it's, you're never going to get it. Just channel it into that kiln. And that's what I did. And um, and it's been it's been a real, a real game changer for me because the freedom that that allowed me then just to all of a sudden make ceramics directly from my studio was amazing. Um, it's good. That's actually really good advice is, as an artist to invest back in yourself, into yourself into like your own to, art. to constantly, you know, cycle it back into what you're doing. I always remember Lady Gaga talking about that very eloquently about like her early touring and stuff and how she was constantly broke because she had no money because she was just pouring all the money back into her live concerts. And actually, as a kind of concept, that's a really good idea in contemporary art as well. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. 
That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com. It's constantly... Oh, I think it's also for collectors listening if they want to support young artists, emerging artists, is that actually you're, you buy a work of art, but that funds the artist's production that's going to yeah. buy your materials that this sort of goes it's a feeding system that goes back into the work to keep the work going absolutely i mean because the other thing is there's so much work that never makes it to you know to, to, a, to a show this in a yeah. way you know you as an artist like your outgoings are are so much higher really than just the the, the production of the thing that you see you know it's the running costs are, you know, it, it's 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 not it ain't cheap. <laughs> now, Jonathan, you and I are the same age, and I don't know if that's why, but I kept coming across your work like literally every three four months. I would I would come into contact with a show that you were involved with, and a lot of the shows I was I was seeing. This is back in like twenty thirteen or something. Like I remember you you collaborated with a friend of mine, Julia, at Bellmax Gallery in Central London. This is I think pre Stephen Friedman era for mm-hmm. you. So Julia Muggenberg and you did an amazing show with Coco Crampton, um, and there were lots mm-hmm. of eyes in that show, which I always remember in like weird kind of sewn creatures that were like disembodied. And I remember coming to that show in Davis Street, which is right by that fancy hotel. Um, it's not Claridge's, is it? What hotel is it? Yeah, it's Clar- opposite Claridge's. Oh, yeah. It is Claridge's, yeah. And then, yeah. Um, and then, like a few months later, you were in Charlotte Road, where our old Carl Friedman Gallery was, and directly opposite us, you did a show with L'Etrangère Gallery with the amazing Emma Hart, um, oh, which was a brilliant show. And then, a few months later, it, it travelled. You and her went to Pier, just up the road, to Pier Gallery. So I, I kept like seeing your work. It was like all the time. And then previously, I'd seen you at Saatchi and da-da-da. But um, the, the, the thing that, that struck me about all of those times that I discovered you, it was collaborations with other artists. Can you speak a bit about the importance of like, you know, coming up with your peers and, and that mutual support and even making work together? Yeah, absolutely. I think... If I think about collaboration, I think it's been one of the most um, important things, I think, for my sort of evolution as an artist, because mm. I think quite often um, it's it's quite easy to get as an artist get, to get stuck in a sort of um, a certain trajectory or, or not just by yourself, but sort of in the way that you might be expected to, you know, deliver a certain exhibition or so when you work with another artist, you can sort of throw all of that to the side because you don't have, you know, a back, a back catalogue to, to work, you know, along. You can just do whatever the hell you both want to. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that can be really liberating. And, um, and I think it's really important to keep things fresh, isn't, isn't it, as an artist? Mm-hmm. I mean, to constantly, you know, test yourself. And I think working with you know, an artist that you respect and you admire, I mean, what a better way of kind of, uh, of kind of... Pushing yourself somewhere else. Exactly, than that. And, um, you know, uh, I've, um, I've learned a lot from, from collaborating. So yeah, I would say 
definitely. Collaboration has been such an important part of my journey. And it's definitely something that I hope I continue to do, you know. And, and with someone like Emma, like, can you speak a bit about that that specific collaboration, yeah. just to give it a bit more? Yeah, color? totally. So Emma and I met on a, on a residency at Wising Art Centre, which is, oh, right. again, an amazing, amazing place for artists that, you yeah. know, and they do a lot for them. And um, beautiful place. we didn't know each other before we did this residency, but we, uh, it was uh, for my part, uh, Emma was an artist that I really admired and, you know, and I was really excited to meet. But it was just kind of one of these really exciting moments when you meet an artist that you really, really love and then you find out that you get on with them really well. <laughs> so we ended up um, becoming just really good friends and then started seeing that there was so much in our practices that kind of overlapped. And yeah you know, that we were interested in. And so we just sort of s sat down. I think I remember we were in the ceramic studio because they've got this little ceramic studio in Wising Art Centre. And we were, you know, um, I think Emma was preparing for her show at Camden Art Centre at that time. And we were just having a conversation. We were like, wouldn't it be great to do a show together? And it was really just sort of an off-the-cuff remark like that, that we were like, wouldn't it be great to do a show together? And then a year later, we were, we just started putting our heads together and thinking about how we could make it happen um and so it really is and then from that we did yeah we did a, a, a show at uh, l'étrangère which was a <clears throat> uh a show called suckers which was a sort of a show about i guess about eating about both of our kind of slight um anxieties around going to dinner parties but that led on to doing this collaborative show around punch and judy um that started off at pier gallery um and then um went to the Grundy um, in Blackpool and ended up at the Delaware Pavilion. Um, and Bexhill-on-Sea, um, yeah, amazing. In Bexhill-on-Sea and sort of got a bit bigger and bigger. But, you know, um, and that, you know, I have to also sort of flag up Ingrid uh, um, up here as well for that, you know, yes. for, for really pushing, making that happen. But I think what's, what's exciting about that is that, you know, it's a story of, I guess, two artists that have just come together to collaborate on a show and then it was us that made it initi initiated you know doing a show together a collaborative yeah. show together so you know I think not only did I learn a lot from working with Emma but I think it, it was you know it was a really great just a great sort of example of of you know what you can do if you sort of um push, push. Connects, yeah, like yeah. self self-empowerment yeah. it's quite an important yeah. message actually for yeah. artists to remember that you hold the I, power you know to, to to what what you want to achieve even if you don't have all the resources right now and it's kind of just about going for it isn't it and that's kind of what i think you've been a great example of and in that l'étranger show i never forget walking into it because it was right opposite our gallery and i went in and it was just the most bizarre show because it had like knives and forks with fingernails on the ends of the, the oh, knives and forks i've seen the pretzel like, fingernails like, with the acrylic like nails on this so camp nails and like weird plates and it was just like so strange and i was like what the fuck is this <laughs> but i didn't really you know it was just like i'd never seen it before and that's also a great response though because i think you know new art you want to kind of be shocked a bit and kind of it's yeah. something you haven't seen before i'm glad i'm glad i mean i think you know that it, it felt ex it felt exciting to make and i think it was and we had a lot of fun with it and i think you know i think that's really I think that's really important, you know, because that translates in the work, you know, if you're communicating that you're sort of letting go to a certain extent and just 
um, doing what feels right, you know. Um, but it definitely was a show, a very sort of a, a campy horror horror show of um, <laughs> of different of different elements, you know. And a, 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 a dinner party gone very wrong. <laughs> and actually, yeah, yeah. It, there was something very unashamed about it, like you're saying. You know, when you were a kid and you were like shy about your collecting or your, your knitting or your, whatever it is, it's like finally you get to a point where you're a bit like we have now, or I have anyway, where it's just like, I don't care. Come out, Take me as I am. Come out. Yeah, exactly. It's just like, if you like me, you like me. If you don't, you don't. I love that about, about the work. Absolutely. It's very... It's like something, I mean, I think even now I have to constantly remind myself of that, though. It's because it's such a precious feeling, isn't it, to, mm. to have that and um, to be in that space, especially when you're aware of or you remember what, it's, what, it, what it wasn't to have that, mm. you know. Totally. What is uh, the upcoming Stockholm show going to be like? What are we going to see? Right. In and how's that going? so it's all been packed and sent off now um and it's going to be 12 life-size uh human cocoons um that will be hanging from the gallery uh ceiling it's a sort of a subterranean um gallery space that you will you walk down to get into it's huge um and um and it's and i think after doing the camden show which is sort of things growing up from the floor Mm-hmm. I'd had the idea that I wanted to make a show with things coming down from the ceiling. So these uh, cocoons will, will dangle from the ceiling. They've been, um, they're woven from a yarn that I have spun um, and dyed. And um, they sort of uh, look to, I've been looking at um, chrysalises, but also mm-hmm. birds' nests, like in particular the oh, weaver wow. bird nest. Um, so they are... Um, Again, I guess uh, a one sort of be- beautiful. I hope you know in their in the way that they've been made, but also slightly disturbing, as in a lot of the work that I make. Mm-hmm. Um, Actually, weavers yeah, weavers uh, birds' nests have really inspired a lot of architecture, haven't they? Like kind of because um, they have such a unique shape, don't they? They're these very strange yeah. forms. It kind of makes me think of Louise Bourgeois as well and all of her hanging kind of bronze oh, yeah. sculptures and the cocoons. But I feel like she might have thought about those birds. and You know what I mean? Like there's some, I don't know, that it's such a unique kind of form. that They really are. They're kind of so incredible. And of course, they, they make them by essentially just knotting the grass with their beaks. So, you know, they're these... Um, yeah, like vessel-like forms with little mm. holes in them, um, and uh, and the, it's the male bird that makes the nest, and um, and then the female decides whether she she'll pair up with him based on wow. on how beautiful, how well his craft his skills, nest. yeah, his craftsmanship, exactly. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, they're t- they're just totally um, amazing. It blows my mind. It's like nature just blowing my mind, you know, and. Mm. Um, and I think this sort of idea of these of these vessels being um, uh, like spaces for transformation, you know, where yeah. you where in one sense, you know, uh, for the chrysalises, it's it's becoming one form to another, but um, with the nests, it's 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 becoming from egg to you know bird, which is so they're these sort of magical incubators of life, and. Um, so I thought, you know, they're kind of rich pickings for, you know, an artwork there. And 
um, I've been obviously making um, the majority of them during lockdown and um, thinking about, uh, you know, the significance of personal space and home and all of that and mm. um, spending so much time alone, you know, and um, and so, you know, uh, these these pieces sort of came out of that really. And, um, but, you know, I've been making them in a very small studio and sort of making them and putting them to the side. So I'm, I'm really excited now to see uh, what they will look like when they're installed, because that's, that's the sort of moment where I get to see if it sort of works. What's it like when all your work leaves the studio? Is it quite, uh, is it excitement or do you feel a sense of loss when they, when they leave you? Yeah, no, I, I love it. I really don't, I never understand this sort of feel. You know, when artists say, oh, I have that feeling of loss or I'm sad to see that, I, I, I'm like, on to the next. It's really... <laughs> I You're love like, see ya. <laughs> <laughs> see you later. It's the process is so uh, amazing and beautiful. And that's the, the, the moment I lo- love the most. There's a fleeting moment where it's installed that I'll be, I think this is amazing. But then I start getting really critical of it and, you know, and then I start not liking it. So I'd, I'd rather just get on with the next, the next thing. <laughs> Where in uh, Stockholm is the show going to be? The show is at Accelerator in Stockholm and um, it's a fairly new institution. So it's part of, this, of Stockholm University. It's been open about three years um, and they've been... Yeah, an absolute dream to work with. I have to say, I'm kind of, um, yeah, big shout out to them. So <clears throat> Amazing. So just something I've always loved about your work, Jonathan, when I've come to it, is, you, is this blur of gender. Yes, sometimes we see the figures might be pregnant, but it could be uh, any gender that's carrying a baby potentially in its belly. Is that is that something that you like playing with? And is that important to you, that there is this kind of gender blur with your characters that you create? Absolutely. Yeah. I think um, more often than not, it's my body in in uh, in the work. And so in, in my work, I can I don't need to adhere to any sort of of the traditional binaries of, you know, you know, so it's a, it's a sort of a liberation for me to be anything can have any potential. Yeah, it's important. It's important. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Totally. So the, the work is autobiographical or biographical you're 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 cherry picking from experiences and your own kind of interior for this work I think so I think you know I think it's it's the one place that I I can't you know I have the freedom to speak from is from my own Mm. you know from my own vantage point if you will so yeah the work is um is 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 pretty autobiographical um and you know if I'm thinking about the body this work you know the work that i make is a product of the body and it's my body um so there is a sort of a very particular relationship that i have to the work because it is in a way an extension of me um mm. not just through the uh the, in its depictions but actually in the essence of you know i was thinking about the cocoons and spinning my own yarn it's this sort of i i had this sort of um uh, like the, the sort of action of, of, of every fibre going through my finger and thumb, you know, and that connection to the work that I have is so specific, I guess. Um, you know, it's kind of like, you know, a spider spinning a web or, you know, it really is a, a product of me. 
and um and so even uh you know maybe the sort of the cast body parts which are mine my body parts obviously in the work you know they are it's all a sort of a, a, a shedding of skin of me or you know um or yeah an extension a bit of a bit sort of um yeah and like an extension of my body I like that idea of shedding like it's a bit it's almost like a snake when it sheds its skin or something but but when you were talking earlier and you you kind of weren't totally sure what you were describing to me it was like this idea that our bodies are actually just the bodies but within us we have the soul or you have your your personality and all of these things that that like are so much more than just the body and I think if you think about I don't know disability or you think about you know even like my mum for example has just had like a hip operation and like this idea that you kind of um I don't know that our bodies can somehow limit us um but ideas or the soul can actually soar and they can be you know so much more than just that the, the flesh of, the flesh yeah Absolutely. and i think that definitely is present within your work i think even going back to that show years ago in um, davis street like i don't know this idea of like the disembodied parts or the eyeball or like i don't know like all of these these elements which are yeah it's, it's fascinating i think this is why you know, I I really you know the, you know costume features a lot. You know the sort of performance, and then you know the the costumes that I make are usually cover um, almost every part of the human body. So it really is sort of entering into uh, another being, and um, and so to sort of cover up um, the 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 body underneath you know, somehow can be sort of quite liberating because you are mm. able to become something else which isn't um, so rooted in, you know, in, in, in the ways in which we usually um, uh, go about sort of identifying each other and, you know, and, mm. um, and project, projecting on, on each other, you know, mm. which is, mm -mm. you know, I hate boxes, you know, but I think it's such a sort of human instinct to sort of put each other in boxes and, um, uh, and to limit each other in a way because of that. So, you know, there's this sort of absolute freedom in, be in becoming something other, you know, um, mm. It's the same with language, isn't well. it? It's like it's like people can name something, you can expect it, and then that 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 that's kind of concretely what somebody is. But actually, we're not that. And I think by it's like like what we said about that Oscar Wilde quote. You know, it's a very well known quote, but it's actually so accurate. This idea that you know you can be something else all the time, and we can constantly evolve and be much more than what is expected right. or people. What the limitations of what yeah. is being projected onto you? Yeah. Can I ask you something quite personal? I don't know whether yeah. you go here, but like um, we interviewed Rachel Feinstein recently and we spoke a bit about what it's like to be part of an artist couple because she's married to John Curran. And actually mm -hmm. Rachel Feinstein's sculptures, I think you would love because she also looks at that history of the actual colour of the sculptures and how um, kind of mental they, the, the actual She used to give were. people she was dating uh, earrings that were casts of her bumhole yeah. as like, a, as like a, an offering. <laughs> yeah. You wouldn't. And to friends. Know? It wasn't just people she was dating. Yeah. Um, but you're, you're part of an artist couple, like with Raphael Zajko, who I know because he invited me to teach, actually, um, to be a critic, a critic, whatever you call it, at Goldsmiths. Um, can you speak a bit about the relationship of going out with someone who's an artist and the influence you have on each other's work? Yeah, of course. I think, okay, so from my experience, I would say it's really, it's really positive. It's really great. I think we have... Um, 
and I and I and I really mean this because it does. I'm not just saying this because it's been corny, but it it for me it's a really um, it's a really positive thing to have an artist um, partner, um, because they, you know, they. I think what's fundamental is that you you respect their work and you and you love it. If I didn't, I think that would be a little bit of a. Um, but we're not um, sort of. There's not any of this sort of unhealthy competition between us, and we're very supportive of each other's work. Um, I mean, actually, Raf collaborated with me in the show that I just had in Madrid at La Casa Encendida, yes. and he um, yeah. and he he performed with me in 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 costume and um, sang a Polish funerary song um, at the end of the performance, um, and I actually also incorporated some of his. Um, he had this. He has his smoking um, sculptures that yes. he did recently in a show, and I brought some of that. I cheekily. Um, pinched that idea and incorporated it into my costumes and then they started blowing out smoke so he's obviously okay with me you know using that in my work and you know I I always credit him um for anything we do together and I think crediting artists is obviously that you work with is important but yeah for me it's 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 really it's he's the person that I go to you know if I he's like my sounding board if I have you know ideas well I think we're very honest with each other so you know he'll he'll give me his opinion if he thinks something's really rubbish and and so I really cherish that sort of um you know the frustrating thing sometimes or the bad bit of, of going out with another artist is that you can never really schedule things or you can guarantee that while <laughs> one has a show to work on yeah the other one doesn't and that is really yeah. annoying because sometimes you have a show and you're like oh should we just have a few days off afterwards and it's like you can bet your bottom dollar that it'll be when he's really busy with something too so mm. i don't know there are definitely that's the negatives i would say but I was no. blown away when I first met him because he he just completed that series of where he kind of blows, um, you know, human um, carbon dioxide or whatever it is you, you exp- expel from your body. But he would blow into the sculpture. And I remember just being like, as a concept, it was so hardcore because it's like, you know, this idea that the sculpture is completed when the artist bre- has, has the artist's breath is within it. Life into it. You know, and it was yeah. so full on. And I was really, I don't know, I think it's quite a remarkable body of work that he's creating. I'd love to talk to him actually at some point. But um, I also just love your connection. I saw you both at Lindsay Mendick and Guy Oliver's space, Quench, here in Margate. And just your connection with each other and your enthusiasm and the joy you both have at looking at other people's art. And like, I don't know, I just felt like there's a real camaraderie that must be a great sort of comfort as an artist. Oh yeah, no, it is, and you know, and and uh, he's bonkers too. So you know, that's mm. always you know, it's like <laughs> if you meet someone that's like as mad as you are, then it's like you know that you it's it's you've got a good team. So um, push uh, each other yeah, further. I, you go crazy. Exactly. You go crazier. <laughs> exactly. You know. So yeah, no, it's it, it it's brilliant. Oh. Well, before we get on to our final questions, I just want to know, yeah. how long does it take to spin the yarn for a life-size cocoon, let alone 12? Um, so it takes to, to, bin two, so to, to spin two skeins, skeins, I never know how to say it. It's just this sort of uh, the name that you call like a ball of, ball of wool, but sort of a loose, a loose ball of wool. Mm-hmm. Um, it takes about a day. Which is a really long time to t- to, t- yeah. to take it from like sheep's wool to, and the reason why I I, I just want to say the reason why it's not, it wasn't just you know uh, it wasn't just a sadist. The reason why I wanted to spit, spin my own yarn is because I wanted it to be it to be lumpy and irregular. 
you right. know um i wanted it to have that bodiliness of it looking a bit like i don't know like an umbilical cord or you know arteries or something and of course you can't get that when you buy machine uh, made wool so yeah i would i've decided crazily that to spin it my own by myself would be the way forward but basically meant i haven't had a weekend off for the whole of the summer <laughs> <laughs> yes. Well, you are elevating traditional domestic craft into something incredibly beautiful and powerful. No. Well, so we, we ask every guest two questions, which I hopefully you will know. But um, the first one is, if you could do an art heist and take home any artwork from around the world or any building or anything, what would you steal? So, you know what, I, I'm... I'm going to say, I don't know whether this has already been said, but is it like Bosch's Garden of Earthly Delights? I saw that at the Prado Love. recently. And it was just, I mean, I, I know this is a classic and it's, you know, but it's a... No, but it's such amazing, a good one. It's iconic. It's amazing. Um, and, you know, and the thing about seeing it in life is that it's not just mm. the front, is it? It's also got the back, you know, so because it's this... Um, but that is, I think that's, I mean, it's just... You could just look at it for hours. I mean, I imagine that... It, the it's end like day. three panels, isn't it? Yes. Yeah, yeah. There's, and it's just Something these two like doors that. that sort of open Yeah, up. that's right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and um, and I think because of, obviously, COVID, the last time I visited, it was quite uh, quite quiet. And um, mm. so usually there's, like, a lot of people around it. But this time it mm. was... I had a, a sort of an experience of what it would be like to view it on an almost one-to-one. Amazing. Mm. And the thing is, that work is so hardcore. And also, it's got that element of humor to it. Because I think at the time, it would have been quite shocking. But, but there's a definite an element of humor, which I think sometimes, you know, gets referenced with your work. And there's that Somerset House show coming up um, that Andy Holden's curating, which is all about humor. And Ryan Gander did one a few years ago at South London Gallery. But like, what, what is your relationship to humor within your work? Because I think it's quite an awkward one in art sometimes. Like, you know, everything's it's, it's, quite it's worthy humor, and serious. It's humour slash camp slash sinister. There's like yeah, a fine yeah. like line that between is, that all is of Jonathan Baldock. Yes, <laughs> yeah. I'll take that. I think I think there's certain. Um, I I I, lo I love a bit of humour. You know, I think humour is is massively undervalued in society actually, because uh, I think you know, you know, think about comics really. You know, uh, you, they're they're just they can be they're amazing you know i mean yeah. to be able to take you out of yourself and just feel relief to that level where you're laughing is i mean that's that's real power i think and um so you know um i think i think there's there's some sort of there's definitely sort of hierarchies aren't there you know the more sort of serious emotions are sometimes valued more mm. but um i think humor's powerful um i don't think i've ever employed it to that level at all by the way but um you know i'd be lucky if i get no, a small chuckle but um you know there's de definitely um definitely humor is something that i i enjoy you know and i think it's what? that it's a very sort of theatrical trope as well exactly comedy tragedy comedy chat exactly sort of so sort of flip that switch and then all of a sudden have you sobbing you know um mm. It's the best. That's the, I, for me as an actor as well. That's the best comedy is when you can make someone laugh and then you can spin suddenly a second later and they're crying. And I think that was why Robin Williams for me was one of my biggest heroes because he had that ability right. to just flip that in like a millisecond. I agree. I agree. Yeah. So the other question we ask is, what is your favourite colour? 
and this is a difficult one because uh I my favorite color changes all the time which you'll probably see I mean I love color Someone called me a colorista recently, which I was like, oh, colorista. <laughs> I'm going to write that down. Like, That's oh. like a barista, but for color. That's me. Um, I would say at the minute that, I mean, I'm going to go for um, pink. It's, 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 you know, it's, it's, it's always, it's always a favorite. I've never don't. I was like going to say pink makes sense when I think about you. Cause I think pink appears a lot in your work actually. It's my rosy cheeks. Yeah. <laughs> yes. And sometimes when the Talk acrylic about, nails um... you have, your stick on nails you have on always bright pink or bright red. Bright, bright pink, exactly. <laughs> Talking about baristas, I got given a latte today that you know they do that art within the latte yeah. and sometimes yeah. it's like her thing. On the I phone. I got given this thing and she handed it to me really proudly and said, I did a rose for you, you know, as the a kind of the art within the latte. And it just looked like a penis. I was like, this isn't a rose. <laughs> but, but you like, put it straight in your mouth, didn't you? I was re- uh, Russell. <laughs> oh, God. It was gone. It's like are they trying to say something to me. Yes, they are. Oh they God. are, and not like not not metaphorically. They're being. Oh my very, God! I'm shocked. <laughs> it was a shot of coffee. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> what advice would you give then to a young artist now, if you were to meet them and they were like, "I'm really worried about everything." To just to keep going is actually one of can be some of the you know one of the hardest things to do as an artist. So I guess my advice would come from my personal experience. Um, and uh, I think, so it would be probably to, to dance the beat of your own drum would be a good one. So don't follow fashions or trends um, because they come and go. But um, I think if you stay true and authentic to your work, then you know, you're on the right path. Um, I'd say be kind is a good one as well. I mean, don't be a bit of a big head or, um, you know, I think that always, that goes, uh, that's a good one to know. Um, Collaboration, as we've already talked about, I think that's a really good, um, I learned a lot about myself as an artist, I think, through collaboration. And um, I think it just opens you up to just um, other people's perspectives and gives you a chance to experiment. And I think that's really, really valuable. Um, another thing that I would say would be just to improvise. So for me, um, you know, I came to working in salt dough because I couldn't afford to work in clay or I used textiles because I was a bit intimidated by the sculpture department at college or, you know, any number of ways in which I think you can, you could approach making work in a sort of a very set and sort of formal, but just to open your heart to maybe other possibilities and um it's, it's i could be really valuable actually and um it's that just do it you know thing. i've always been yeah. you know i think you can really um i think overthinking things and just not not actually doing it is it can be a, a big big problem because you yeah. just never will and um so just sort of jump in and do it to the best that you can and that will always lead on to a different exactly you know, that's what Warhol said. He said, just make the work. And while people are working out if they like it or not, you're on to the next thing. Exactly. Yeah, I agree exactly. with that. Yeah. yeah. And you find like-minded souls, don't you? Like, like-minded friends or artists or fans or what have you. You they, do. You do. And you learn. Mm. Yeah. You know, it's all, you're all, always learning from making, I think. And that sometimes gets forgotten, you know. Mm. It's, um, 
Yeah. Keep going, Love keep making, that. keep learning. Keep going. Great advice. Yeah. Jonathan, Love you have been the absolute dream. We adore you. I adore oh, you. We need to go antiquing together. Uh, and we all need to drink uh, penis coffee with Rob at some point soon, which would be the dream. And, uh, <laughs> and uh, for everyone listening, go to at Talkart on Instagram and we will be posting images of this interview today. Jonathan, you're on Instagram, right? Yes, I am. What's your handle? Oh, uh, I, think it's, I think it's just Jonathan, Jonathan underscore Bulldog. Perfect. Perfect. And you can also visit Stephen Friedman Gallery who have lots of amazing archive images on their website. I love their website. Camden Arts Centre, please Camden follow Arts them. Center. They're an incredible institution that is... And where's the show in Stockholm again? Accelerator. Accelerator. When does that open? It opens on the 17th... Oh, sorry, 14th of October. Get it right. There you go. October. And the Weaver Bird, is that a British bird that you can find in your Reader's Digest book of birds? It's or is... not, I'm afraid, um, no. Um, it's not a like You won't get it out in the garden, I'm afraid. But so the, I'll cross uh, that one off. Google it, you will... Yeah. <laughs> You'll be amazed. There'll be enough videos on YouTube of it, if not. Amazing. Amazing stuff. Well, thank you, Jonathan. Well, stick around, Jonathan, and everyone listening. Thanks for listening. See you soon. Cheers, Jonathan. Bye. 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 You've been listening to Talk Art with Robert Diamond and Russell Tovey. Follow us on Instagram at Talk Art, where you can view images of all artworks discussed in today's episode, with music by Jack Northover. Subscribe to Talk Art at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Acast, or wherever it is that you get your podcasts. Give us a rating and write us a comment. Thanks for listening. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.